Coming up on today's show, special episode, Seth Partnow from The Athletic is joining me on The Glue Guys today. Seth writes about basketball analytics for The Athletic and previously was the director of basketball research for the Milwaukee Bucks. Last week, Seth wrote an incredible amount of words about the top 125 players in the NBA right now. The stories were titled The Athletic's Players Tiers. Seth placed the top 125 players within five tiers within the NBA, and the Nets had six players in those tiers. Uh, so I spoke to Seth about why he put certain players in certain places, including Kevin Durant at number one overall. And we talked about trades. We talked about what he would do with Karis LeVert, who the Nets should be targeting, what type of player the Nets should look out for, all of that condensed into this delightful basketball conversation, which you can hear coming up right now. Well, welcome into the Glue Guys today. Mike here. Brian is not here, but someone who I get to work with at The Athletic and who you've probably read his writing already, Seth Partnow, is joining us on the show today. Seth, thank you so much for being here. This is so exciting. You must be exhausted from all, from all the writing. How? So t- we're going to talk about your tiers. Talk about the writing process overall, how we got to this point where you've ranked, not ranked, excuse me, tiered the top 125 players. So it's actually a project that we first started in January and then it kind of got derailed uh, through, uh, you know, the various news happenings of the NBA season. And, um, you know, coming up with the rankings themselves was, was of course, a, um, a or the, the tierings, I, like they are not rankings. <laughs> that makes um, be clear on that, not rankings. Um, rankings are dumb. And we can talk about that if you want. But um, that took a while. But then the writing itself, I mean, it, it ended up being, um, I looked and it ended up being about 31,000 words for the for the, the the write-ups of the top 125. So that in itself was, was kind of a, I probably had the first, I had the intro mostly done a couple weeks ago. And then most of the individual player write-ups were actually in the last eight to 10 days. So that was a, that was a, a lift. And I think, so this is what I took away from it. You were tiering them in terms of contributing to a championship, right? So these players on the list are the players that would most contribute to a championship roster. Is that partly or mostly accurate? That's mostly accurate. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's generally right. Yeah. Um, Really, if you were going to do players who significantly matter towards a championship, it would probably be. I mean, it's significantly less than 125. You get down to you know 75 or 80, or maybe even a smaller amount. Um, it's just it, um, in kind of the research I've done on this, you start to get like small amounts of incremental value towards a championship around the 150th or 125th best player in the NBA, uh, and then it kind of rapidly increases. So the like the top five give pretty massive value um, as compared to. You know, obviously, like the hundredth, the give or take the hundredth best player, probably you know, thirty or forty times more. Um, if I'm remembering the, the the 
output of the of the models correctly. So, and we're talking, because obviously this is a Brooklyn Nets pod, because the Nets, there are many Nets featured on the list, some who have yet to play a game, or one of whom is yet to play a game for the Brooklyn Nets, and everyone's eagerly anticipating his arrival onto the court. Um, how many, I think there were six Nets overall. It was Jared Allen, Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant, right? Is that six? Um so how does that compare to the rest of the NBA in terms of total roster construction? How do the Nets compare sort of with the other teams in the league? Um, I mean, you could think of the Lakers or the Heat or whoever. How do the Nets stack up? So just in, in sheer numbers, they're they're tied for first. Nobody else had more than six. Um, I think probably a couple teams had had like the seventh guy just miss. Um, like I, like since I cut it off at 125 instead of going to – what a full kind of blob of tier five would be than the Clippers might have had seven on a couple others maybe. But six is is tied for the most in the league. Um, in terms of sort of top-end talent, they're right up there, though a lot of that is with a huge asterisk next to Kevin Durant, who, um, in, I guess, spoil a little bit, I, I had in tier one, um, just cause I had no idea really well where else to put him. Um, just, we don't know what he looks like in, in when, when the season starts, because there's, um, not a great track record of people coming back from Achilles tears at the same time. There's no player of his stature to have ever come back for one. So there's a little bit of cushion between where he was and kind of, and, and still being a, a top, top player. Um, so it was kind of a, a shrug of the shoulders and say, Hey, if the nets are going to be really good, this is where they need him to be. So we'll talk about him here. And I think, so if ever, anyone hasn't read the tiers, I suggest you just Google the athletic NBA tiers. The story will pop up. There's going to be a little thing on there that lets you subscribe. If you're not a subscriber already, just subscribe. I think it's a dollar a month to start still for this week or something like that. That's going to change coming up. So a little urgency involved there, but your tiers, it's not as if it's like 15 players in tier one, 15 players in tier two, you know, it is, it is as we go up the pyramid, it becomes fewer and fewer players who obviously as it should be considered in that group. So you have six players in tier one and you even broken it up into two, even sub tiers within it. One a being Giannis Harden, Kawhi and LeBron and then you have the sort of the two injury not injury concerns but you know guys coming back from injury I would guess so it's Curry and Durant I would guess you have more faith that Steph Curry is going to be who he was than Durant just because of the injury right yeah the the with Steph it's it's as much that that because he played with Durant for the last several years then basically didn't play last year um we we suspect but don't totally know he can be at or about that sort of MVP level. And that's just enough doubt to, like, drop him down just that tiny little bit. But I, I, I think my strong suspicion is that, that, that he jumps right back up into, into kind of that, that inner circle group that, that you just mentioned. And with Durant, you know, he would have been kind of I have, uh, I have LeBron as kind of 1A+. Plus and um, prior to the injury, like, Durant would have been right there in that group. Uh, and again, we just, you know, the track record isn't that good. Like kind of the best case scenario um, is is kind of 
uh, in, in recent memory is kind of Rudy Gay from among MA players who've come back and been pretty close to the same player that, that, that they were. Have you thought, I mean, obviously you've been thinking about what Durant will be like when he comes back. You know, what's your best anticipation? What's the most likely outcome for him when he, so we still have him 1B in this tier, top six player in the NBA. That's some projection. In your mind, what's the best case, not the best case, the most likely scenario of him as a player when he does come back? Maybe who is he going to be like? or And what are the kind of the range of outcomes? I think you mentioned Chris Middleton as almost the floor, right, of who he probably will be. And then there's a ceiling, obviously, of like just being Kevin Durant again. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he's one of the elite shooters of all time and is, you know, seven feet tall with, you know, wingspan and high release point. That's not going to go away if he loses mobility. So his ability to to make shots is not going to to decline. It's the ability to create his own shot, the ability to get to the rim and finish. Um, you know his his isolation ability. Those are the those are the spots where there are more likely to be declines. And if those things come back at seventy five, where is he? He's probably a top 20 ish player. Um, so. I, that, I mean, honestly, that's probably the median. Um, so there, there's a little bit of, uh, honestly, a little bit of, of, of again, of, of wishfulness, and this is what the uh, this is what the Nets need to be like that contending team is to him for him to be, you know, maybe not top five, but top 10, 12 ish, and then get great contributions from everybody else. Um, obviously, the better he is, the less you need from from uh from some of the other players and um you know frankly the better he is the more you can probably hope to consolidate um some of the other other you know goodness that the team has i think that's one of the 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 nets are one of those teams where i think the sum is maybe a little bit less than the whole of the parts just because uh, they're four, I think they're four top rated players in the tiers all kind of do similar things. Right. And, you know. and I think you had a really interesting point where you said, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but basically like one of the the best skills you can have to particularly to be an elite player is to be a, an elite shot creator, you know, be able to get your own shot off. But one of the more overrated skills is to to be a shot creator, but not be elite. Meaning like, so the example, I don't know if you directly link this to Karis LeVert, in the piece, but essentially like Karis LeVert obviously can get his shot off. He can score by himself in isolation, but he is an elite, right? So I kind of to go into Karis LeVert a little bit, you said you really like him, but that the numbers themselves don't obviously reflect maybe your, (laughs) your affinity towards him. Give me your Karis LeVert broad thoughts, particularly how it fits with the team. Because for Nets fans, the big question is, is like, do they put him in a trade to get player X? No one knows who player X is at this point, because the as you go down the list, like who is actually that much better than Karis LeVert that is available? But how valuable would, is LeVert can, to can this I, team? If I can, just that that who's it's not even necessarily better. It's, it's also... Uh, you know, a better, like if you could, if you could, if you could clone Joe Harris, would you trade Karis LeVert for a second Joe Harris? Uh, given, given what they have on the roster, I think that probably helps them more just because, you know, kind of the off ball play and, 
and kind of uh, versatility that, that that Joe Harris has with you know Wall already having three kind of high level shot creators left with you know Durant and Irving and Dinwiddie. Um, so is Joe Harris a better player than Karis Levert? Probably not. But would a second one do more for the Nets? Probably. But that's the, that. That's not your your question about Levert. Is first of all, he's I, I think he's one of the better players in the league at just at, at beating a defender uh, straight up. That's that, the way the game is played now. There's a lot of guys who can kind of attack a closeout and get into the lane and make a play. The ability to without a screen just you know stare down a squared up defender and and beat them and get into the paint. That's a that's a less common skill and it and just from from you know watching him over a number of years, Lavert is one of those guys who's just by his guy a lot. Um and and you can do some stuff with that. Where he is maybe less valuable um is he's not a great off ball player. He's not a great shooter, though it's improving. Uh and and his defensive metrics have been mediocre-ish, if at best. So for a kind of a lower rung player, that's not a great profile. That's almost a profile of a guy who would be a star on a sort of a middling team rather than necessarily a great role player on a really good team, if that makes sense. Well, and let me, so there's, this is such a, the debate raging on Nets Twitter has continued for, since basically the moment Duran Irving signed here is like, what do you do? Because, you know, ultimately the best line, like you talk about the Joe Harris thing, like people are very concerned in Nets land that Joe Harris is going to get a crazy contract and billionaire Joe Sai is going to balk. Um, I don't a consider crazy contract for what, what, what I don't do they think, think it's crazy, crazy because so I've heard. So originally people are now saying he may get as much as $15 million a year. And I said, well, that's in line that that's that is that's, what an elite shooter is worth now, at least that's right? average starter money. I mean, think about that's. Obviously, we think we in our heads, I think some people who don't uh, follow basketball as much think of Buddy Heald as maybe being more versatile than Joe Harris. When in actuality, Joe Harris is more versatile than Buddy Heald. Joe Harris is a better driver to the bucket than Buddy Heald is. And he also doesn't he doesn't consume the ball in the, the way that Buddy Heald typically seems to like to consume the ball. And what is Heald getting? I mean, he's getting $20 million a year or $25 million a year. Um, obviously, one contract doesn't make another, but... I'd rather have Joe Harris straight up, contract like contract agnostic. Right. I think Joe Harris is a, is a better basketball player. So, I, you know, you, at, like the, the number that's getting that's getting kicked down a little bit is like four years, $60 million. I think that's... I think... I don't, I don't think that's a bargain, but I think that's exceedingly fair and... I'd be willing to go even a little bit higher than that if I was the Nets. So, like, if like, I'd be perfectly happy with that. That's if, if that's if his agent says this is what I what we want. You say, oh, yes, we're done. <laughs> like, thank you for thank you. We'll, we'll we're, we're happy to have you for the next four years. And, and why why Joe why is it Joe Harris worth that in your estimation? Um, I mean, he's he's again he's one of the he's not quite on the Kyle Korver, Steph, Seth. Curry level of of elite shooters. He's kind of in the next tier down of really, really like elite, but not otherworldly shooters. Uh, he shoots well off movement, as you said. He puts the ball on the floor pretty well. Um, he's he's got the size and and kind of feel to be a 
he's not a lockdown defender, but he is a credible defender. Um, certainly, you know, you talk about um, these these sort of quote unquote shooting specialists. I think he's a better defender than a Duncan Robinson or a, or a, a Davis Bertans, who are kind of as shooters, maybe similar level, but not quite as versatile either. You know, ball in hands or defensively. So, and that's a player that as a as kind of a fourth option um, is tremendously valuable, um, especially when you when you have an offense that needs to create space for for kind of uh, these, these sort of elite one on one players that the Nets have. Yeah, and, and I think that's a, I think as you were kind of talking about with like Karis Levert, like if you could trade for a second Joe Harris, and you could stack a lineup with Kyrie, KD, two Joe Harris, Harris eyes or Harris's, yeah. Harry, Harry. Um, and then DeAndre Jordan, I guess, is required to be out there if we're talking about... Or just, or just play the good player and, and have Jared Allen out there. Well, and I want to talk about, because that's another debate that rages constantly within uh, Nets universe. Uh, so, the but you have Joe Harris, right? The Nets have Joe Harris, and they have the capability to pay him whatever they would want. Obviously, there's, as you understand, because you worked in... Of front office, there are owner considerations, meaning money. <laughs> like you can't get, like even Joe Lakeup is is you know who has been very committed to paying a certain amount of money. We're hearing things that maybe they're the exception that they're gonna that they could use in a trade if they don't have fans again. Maybe not a thing that they want to use, but the Nets could pay him whatever they wanted if they could get a second type of Joe Harris. You put that on the floor with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. That is, uh leads to one of the best shooting lineups in the history of the NBA, technically, right? Um, so what do you do with Karis LeVert if you – so you you like him a lot. He has a great skill, which means he can break, he can break down a defender who's directly in front of him and get by him and score. But what do you do with him if you're the Nets where you already have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? What is Karis LeVert really going to be doing for you? His skill is going to be diminished because you have it at – an elite level by two guys already. The flip side of that is you have is those two guys are both to some degree health risks. Um, so that, that there's a little bit of insurance there, but as far as needing insurance, you also have Spencer Dinwiddie who has a, you know, a, some, a, a very similar skill set. Um, I think that probably of the two Dinwiddie and Lavert. Uh, Levert has a little bit more trade value around the NBA uh, just because I think a lot of people see what I see is there's this tremendous potential and he's never really been given the keys to an offense. So it's not super hard to talk yourself into kind of, um, you know, all-star upside. I mean, it's not not on the same level, but a little bit of, you know, when when James Harden went from OKC to, to, to Houston, um, I think a lot of people suspected there was more there than he had been able to show in OKC. I don't think anyone. I, I think even Daryl would 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 agree that he didn't really see MVP type type more there there. And I don't think that that Levert has that either. But I think there's there's uh, in in a in a system where he is given more license to do more. There's a lot more he can do. Um, so I think you know if you're Charlotte, like what is what is what does that kind of player look like in a team where you don't really have a lot of that? Uh, it's a pretty good player, um, and I and I don't think Dinwiddie quite has that um, 
uh, is perceived to have that ability to expand as much. Um, so that's why I, even though I think I, I would prefer to to keep Levert and trade Dinwiddie, I think they could get more for Levert. Who? Yeah. What would what would you ideally want if you were looking at the Nets roster and you had the sort of the foundational pieces that are Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving injury risks, but you know we hope that they're elite. You have hopefully Joe Harris back if you're the Nets and you're paying him amount of money, and you have two centers, uh, one of whom should be playing more than the other, but one the other is uh you know can will never be moved um he has a lifetime appointment and, and will soon will never be able to move he, so. he will <laughs> he is the Amy Coney Barrett of the Brooklyn Nets he will forever be linked to this team and some people don't really want him um what what do you do who do you get what it's type hurtful. of what type of player do you get in that slot if you're trading Karis LeVert what are you looking for, right? Like, what makes the most sense for this team? You send another Joe Harris, but you know, is it is it simply someone who's like an elite three and D, like what we what we would think of like Robert Covington? But I don't think the Houston Rockets are. Yeah, so no, somewhere in along that axis, maybe you know, is it is it Joe Harris? Is it is it a Jeremy Grant type? Is it kind of a um, kind of a role player with size and defensive versatility um who can who can contribute offensively off the ball um and again you're thinking towards you're thinking towards the postseason um who you're gonna have to go through you're gonna have to in the east you're gonna have to deal with jason tatum you're gonna have to deal with jimmy butler you're gonna have to deal with Giannis. so guys who can who can contribute on offense and and give you something there defensively um, now, you know, Joe Harris is probably maybe on the, the smaller end of, of that spectrum. Uh, but he, like the shooting is such that it's okay. So, but that, that, that's sort of what leads you into kind of the, you know, the Jeremy Grant area, kind of the, the, the three, four, four, three kind of guys. So we have in your tiers, in tier five, um, Jared Allen does make the list. Uh, DeAndre Jordan does not. How big of a gap is it between those two players in your mind? Pretty big. Um, not, not, no, I mean, I don't know. Like, is DeAndre Jordan still a rotation level player? Yeah. Um, he's also, I would say, aged out of a role that is increasingly devalued in the way the NBA is played. I think... Three or four years ago, DeAndre Jordan is a a probably a tier three or four player, um, both by his own abilities uh, on both ends of the floor, and also kind of the way the game was the game the, the game is has altered in terms of style, even over the last couple of years to devalue the dive and dunk guy just a little bit. Um, but. You know, as he's gotten a little bit older, his his athleticism has declined, and I think that's been a bigger impact on the defensive end. Um, and he's probably not quite the lob threat he he once was. Um, so he's he's fine. He's okay. He's a you know he's if you were paying him you know the mini mid level and he was your backup center, you'd be perfectly happy with it. Um, on a bigger contract where you're forced to start him for political reasons 
that's less good, especially when you have a a younger, more able version of a similar skill set there who is better now and likely to continue to become better as he ascends and DJ continues to decline into his, you know, mid and late thirties. Yeah. And I think so it, it is. So if, if the Nets are going to pay Joe Harris and they're unable to move Torian Prince or something and the, you know, obviously DeAndre's getting paid what he's getting paid and Kyrie is and Kevin Durant and Spencer, um, it becomes like Jared Allen. It almost becomes impossible to believe that Jared Allen would be on the Nets because, you know, who knows what kind of contract that he's going to get. You talk about the devaluing of center, you know, so maybe the, that continues to decline. But we recently saw he's often compared to like a Clint Capella. Um, you know, Clint Capella did get a certain amount of money. Um, and that is more than more money than I would think that the Nets would want to pay for someone who, if you're wedded to DeAndre Jordan, you're going to have to play him at least 20 minutes a game, you would think, particularly if he demand if if uh, the, the demand is for him to start. So then you're not going to probably let me ask you, you're probably not going to p- pay someone a center. Whatever the amount of mo- a certain a high level amount of money for a guy who's going to be splitting minutes at center. Right. That doesn't make sense. A roster building standpoint. Probably not, though. I will say that that I think that. Um, you know, contracts like Clint Capella's and Steven Adams, who guys are pretty good players. I think that teams are going to be more reticent for, you know, kind of the guys who are in the, you know, maybe the 8 to 15 range in terms of starting center. Um, I think those guys are probably among the more likely player tiers, player groups to get a little squeezed, especially in kind of restricted free agency. Uh, as Allen will be coming off his his rookie contract, um, I think you know there is value to having one of the, the the best centers. If you've got you know if you've got a Jokic or an Embiid or a Towns or a Gobert, like those guys are really really adding a lot of value to those. The, the next year down are, are pretty good, but you can probably you know you think about the guys you can get on a on a more bargain contract, like a you know you can find a Daniel Tice or an Aaron Baines, um, probably give you about what that gives you. So, um, yes, I wouldn't want to want to pay kind of that, that dollar for another center, but at the same time, I wonder if the market is going to be softer. Um, and that, that kind of goes both ways. Cause that probably also means the trade market for him is, is softer as well. Right. Um, so we were texting before tier three was revealed and you, hinted that Kyrie people people may be mad Kyrie Irving would be in tier three but honestly when you reveal tier three it's a pretty it's a pretty good list of players in my mind you know you you have Towns and Simmons and Kyle Lowry NBA champion Kyle Lowry Russell Westbrook is technically even below Kyrie Irving but why why is Kyrie Irving I guess not in tier two and why is he in tier three what what about his game makes him more in the list of like complimentary players as opposed to, you know, like Lillard's in tier two and over their time, you know, he and Kyrie were competing and then Lillard has ascended while Kyrie has had more injury issues, I think has been the problem. But why is Kyrie in tier three in your estimation? 
A couple different reasons. One is, um, you know, I tried to assume sort of median health for every player. Uh, Kyrie is one of those guys where uh, median health is still missing a lot of games. Uh, um, you know, he's he's missed two of the last three postseasons. Um, and the one he played, he was, you know, the two years ago in Boston, he was actively destructive. So that's, that's a question mark. Um, uh, he's pretty bad defensively. Um, you know, those, those things are, are the main ones. Um, I think he has been a, an effective off-ball player when he has been willing to do it. Since he left Cleveland, the willingness to do it has been sort of questionable. Um, if, he is, if he is, because it's Kevin Durant, willing to play off the ball much more, and, and you know, he's a great shooter, He's willing to be more of a catch and shoot player and and use his kind of one on one ability uh, sparingly but effectively. Then and, and can stay healthy. Then he probably moves up a little bit. But uh, it's one of those things that that I've got to see it to to believe it first. All right. So last question here: If you were hired today, they move Sean Marks out, and they said, Seth, what are we going to do this off season? What do you do? Do you just keep everyone? You 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 play, you see how it looks a little bit, and then maybe you hope that Bradley Beal becomes available at the deadline because the Wizards, John Wall and Bradley Beal actually aren't the best fit again? Or do you decide we're actually not going to have that much time this year because it's going to be a condensed schedule and we only have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving for who knows how long, maybe not even the length of their contracts, we should we should build our perfect team or as perfect as it can be right now without even you know seeing Karis Levert and Spencer Dinwiddie with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. So the first thing is okay. I assume that Kevin Durant is at least a top twelve player uh, because if he's not, we're done and we're screwed anyway. So what does our team look like if that is the case? And then make deals based around that now. Um, now, does that if that means you're aggressive in terms of looking to to have get upgrades for, you know, uh, or use Allen and, and Levert especially to get kind of fit upgrades and maybe maybe even even depth upgrades? Yeah, I think I'm 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 aggressive in in you know making those calls or at least taking those calls. Um, what players are out there? Man, I don't I. I don't know. I mean, if a guy who would be a really interesting addition to this team that I just don't see that there's any plausible way of adding would be like a, a Fred Van Vliet. Um, I just, uh, you know, there's, I, I don't see a path for that happening. So that's, that's, you know, almost not worth mentioning, but um, yeah, you're all in right now. And so um you know, hedging and well, if KD isn't this, then we need to. But no, you're 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 done. You're you're kind of you're playing out the string with some of these contracts if KD is like significantly diminished. So uh, act as if he's not, and that way you're prepared to take advantage, and you're not really costing yourself anything if he's not because you're not going anywhere anyway for the next couple of years. So I don't really believe this, but so we're we're told that Zach Levine may be out there and available, and he's a better shooter. Than Levert, does he? Does it feel any different with him because he can? He's a much better shooter than Karis Levert, 
or is it just that's him and Kyrie in a backcourt? You're basically uh, pouring gasoline. Flammable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, what is does does Lev- how much does the Levine expect to have the ball at this point? As he's been kind of he's gotten to be kind of uh, an unquestioned alpha for a couple of years in Chicago now. What is like? How well does he take to an off-ball role? Um, I don't like. I would, you know, be much more interested in, in obviously Bradley Beal than I would be in Zach Levine. Um, so, yeah. Um, the other guy who you know would be a really ideal fit for this team would be would be Drew Holiday, who is who's like. I, mean, I think that's the guy who I would you know for every team you know who should we add this this, this offseason to put us over the top? So go trade for Drew Holiday. Um, just in terms of of kind of that, you know, gives you something on offense and you know high level defensive ability and versatility. Um, obviously, that's a big contract to swallow, but you know, that would be a player who I would be. If I had if I had notions that he would resign with us, that would be a player I would I would be willing to include Levert in a deal for. Okay, because that'd be my question. Is that I th- I have heard Zach Lowe talk about this too, where it's like. So we did a series on our podcast called the Levert line, which was all about <laughs> going through the list of all the guys who may be available, you know, cra- as crazy as Giannis all the way down to Aaron Gordon. Right. That's a pretty wide spectrum. Would like, would you even just a one on one give up Levert for that type of player? And Drew Holiday was basically the line. Like, yeah, he- that's that's a great exercise, by the way. I think that's a. Uh, that's a, that's a very similar kind of kind of thought process to to what to to doing the tiers. Um, another way that that you know I've I've seen and done it in the past is like, would I trade this player for the first pick? Would I trade this player for the second pick? And so you're kind that's of you, you're doing some you know things can happen fast, and so if you you the more you can do to kind of put players on a almost a universal scale of value before they come they, that those scenarios come about the better you are because you might not have time to what do we really think about this player and that player so as much as you can do to um and and for for what is obvious what is an obvious trade asset like Levert you know doing that spectrum of players who you would and wouldn't trade them for I think that's an that's an excellent exercise and I would be surprised if the Nets hadn't done something like that internally right well Seth, anyone, I mean, there's so much more than just, obviously, this wasn't all the Nets player tiers, though, of course, that would be a great art. No, there's so much more in here, and particularly if you are a Nets fan, you're thinking trades, you're thinking free agency, whatever you're thinking about, you're going to discover sort of where people are put. Otto Porter Jr., an old friend of the Brooklyn Nets, former restricted free agent contract that Sean Marks gave out. Tier four, and man. If if he was healthy, that's a, that's a great name. Like if you had any, if you had sense that he was healthy, I think he, that would be a right. You probably you might not even you might not even need Levert to because of you know contract and injury questions. That would be a really interesting get for the Nets because he's kind of a guy. I mean, as you said, he's one of the one of the kind of the great undis, like untalked about shooters in the NBA right now. Um. I know we're told he can play de- he's believed to play defense but again he he's hurt so much that it's kind of tough to think about him defensively but he also seems to be a guy who uh probably would fit really well 
next to Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, and the immovable object, DeAndre Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> um, Seth, read, read. Everyone should read this. This is great. You're going to learn so much more about the NBA. And also, Seth has worked in the NBA, and he sort of enlightens you a little bit about that the overall thought process and what goes into when you're trying to establish who, which players people may target and what's, what's right for one team may not be right for the other. So it's really good stuff. Seth, thank you so much for joining the glue guys. Thank you for having me.